to episode three of Lars and Prath Live Through. I'm Lewis Jennings, and over the next half hour, this is what you can expect to hear. So in the dialogue, we'll be hearing from Jessica O'Shea, who talks about biphobia and also about sexism that women face every day. Then in Confessions from the Closet, we'll hear from Adam Whisker, who shares quite a positive coming out story and one that'll definitely put a smile on your face. And then finally, we'll hear from this week's hero, Chris Porter, and the amazing work that he's been doing at Charo County. So I'm here today with poet and writer Jessica O'Shea, and Jessica's just released a poem called Today I Hate It Being a Woman. Uh, so Jessica's going to actually read it for us now too, so if you want to just get underway, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Today I hate it being a woman. It's not an often thought, but I can't deny it hasn't passed me by how I would want to erase this body and start afresh. But today I hate it being a woman. There was a man, mouthful, spitting dirty crumbs across to his peers, who said about a short-skirted girl carrying a baby on her shoulder. His voice rough like fireplace crackles, coarse and obvious. Like most smoky icy mornings, walking past that pub, he was there. His nose broken blood vessels, purple like little worms curling around his nostrils. Shadow tits out, they laughed, and I sank. Why they won't bottle feed is beyond me, attention seeking more like. Each word said plunge towards me, like darts, I only wanted to sink lower, pull my skirt down further. I didn't want them to see what I was, a woman. Is there a scarier sound than the commotion of drunken men? I did not have a child, nor defence. He gulped his pint with a mighty sigh and said abortion shouldn't be so available. I sat cross-legged, pretending to read. But listening, they never called on me or said my name, but they were talking about me, a woman in a skirt. Today I hated being a woman. At times when I hear the men, I could be convinced that I hated those women too, for making them look at me or untoward. I realised looking down at my exposed knees, it was not me they hated, but somehow I remain unconvinced. Love that. That was, that was the first time you've read that? Yeah. How does that feel? <laughs> Uh, it was nice, quite liberating. I, I mean, I, I got I got the theme straight away, but like, tell anyone listening a bit more about it. Um, yeah, well, it was actually I wrote it um, a couple of years ago. Actually, I do this quite often. I'll write something years ago, and then I'll come back to it. Uh, writing's weird like that. Yeah. You know, you can just get an idea. And go, oh, God, I remember that. But I remember I was in um, a pub. Uh, it was Cambridge pub actually by Myrtle Street <laughs> and I was just having lunch on my own I was just reading my book and there was just these drunk men next to me were all you know obviously quite drunk and just talking horribly about women and it just like made me feel awful you know although they weren't specifically talking about me they don't know me <laughs> but it felt like they were you see it a lot with like you know, many were like, oh, I love women, you know, I'm, I'm all for women. But then once they're in a pub with their mates, it's a different story. That's and, it. Yeah. So it was really, um, it made me feel like quite ill and like, like extremely anxious. So. And especially when they're drunk, the two, they can, as you were saying before, like where they pretend like they're all for women, but when they're with the mates, it's like the mask comes off, do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So like, have, have you had any other experiences like that as well? Um, yeah, when I've been on my own a lot. How do you react to it, like when you're by yourself? 
Um, I just try and quickly get off the situation. It'll usually be like something stupid, like a cat call or like a weird noise that they make, which is really weird. <laughs> and my first instinct is like, I'd look like you know, you get home and you go, God, I wish I just turned around and like said something. But yeah, it's like the reality is, it's terrifying. You don't know what's going to happen. You could turn around and they could do something to you. You know what though? Like what I hate about like men like that is they they be the same people who were saying. Oh, I'm not going to go to a gay club because all the gays are going to be all over me, going to be mm. like saying this and that to me. Well, what's it? You're all right to do it to women, but it's not all right if why is it okay for them and not for anyone else? Like mm-hmm. it's not okay at all anyway. So why is it going on? Exactly. Um, men act like that. I think I think most men are homophobic because they're scared that another man will treat them the way they treat women. I think that's what it comes down to, and I think that's you know it's hypocritical and it's like well there's no threat there really from a gay man to a straight man I mean he's more a threat to a gay man than the opposite and it's like well that's how you make women feel all the time exactly yeah and I'm not you know you get that argument it's like well not all men and it's like well fair enough but every single woman has a story every single woman has been through something like that literally so not all men but too many men and too many men stay quiet too if you're not saying so and when this is going on you're then complicit in that behaviour do you mm. know what I mean you're, you're allowing that to happen you're an able in it so that's what annoys me exactly yeah I mean they're like well it wasn't me that said it it's like you're accountable as well yeah for your friends saying that you know if your friend is being really horrible you know you should say something to them 100%. even if it's a joke a bit other poems that you've done what, what other themes do you usually tackle do you like do anything can't be an lgbt or um yeah i've written many embarrassing poems about girls <laughs> <laughs> about all girls like as much as i love them they terrify me yeah um a lot of stuff about mental health mental illness um a lot of stuff about coming of age stuff which I've started writing more as I'm getting older which is weird how you feel about your younger self as the age you are now I think is really interesting to think about Defo, Defo. Yeah. like you know if you could go back to like your younger self is there anything you'd say to yourself I would have liked if there wasn't as much surprises <laughs> yeah, nice warning um I think I would have told myself um Okay, you're 20 now, you know that this isn't a phase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's bisexual for, I don't know. I think I was maybe about seven when I sort of realised. I would sort of go back and be like, it's fine, it's not a phase. <laughs> um, yeah, stuff like that would have been nice. <laughs> so when did you come out as being bisexual? Um, I don't know if I've really ever really come out. I remember telling friends when I was like 40 and we were in like this, um, the emo and gay group <laughs> school. <laughs> so everyone was um, very into my girl romance and uh, girls. <laughs> I went to an all girls school. Uh, um, but that, yeah, that was absolutely fine. I had like a little community there. Um, was you a court kid? A witch. A court kid? No, I was uh, the gardens. Oh, yeah. all before the court. Yeah, yeah, I was OG, 2000, <laughs> 2008. We moved on to Liverpool One Park then, yeah. <laughs> once that was built. Really and then nice. I remember everyone went back to the courts, when, like, years later. I was like, oh, God, everyone's come back here. You never see them now. Oh. I literally, I I, when uh, me, me, me boyfriends are, like, driving, like, past, like... 
and I'll see like two emos. I'm like, oh, there's the emos. Oh my gosh, you never see them That's anymore. It, <laughs> it makes me really happy that like kids are still like really into that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's mad though, isn't it? Because it, it used to be so massive like back in the day, didn't it? Like, just, yeah. you'd walk and like say courts, Shivaz Park, or the gardens, they'd be like everywhere, they'd be a big crowd, but now. It just seems to have been like... I know, it's quite sad. I know who I was. What? I was that, um, there was always like one, someone who was, one kid who was in like trackies and that, who just didn't look like he belonged. I was that. (laughs) My little skinners used to think I was cut off skins wearing like, um, (laughs) what did they call it? just like tracky bottoms and then like a polo, little Adidas polo. Zipped right up to the neck. Yeah, I just thought thought it was something else. I I I loved them people, like the really nice... Like scallions, yeah, yeah, like the really nice scallies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but going back on anyway to being bisexual, like I, I know you've said that you've never really openly talked about this before, so thanks for coming on and talking about it. That's okay. But um, have you ever like experienced biphobia? Because I know that seems to be a, a a big thing. No, I experienced it quite badly when I used to. I mean, I won't name the bar yeah. that I went to, but I used to go to this bar quite a lot with a friend, and. You know, I was sort of because I, I was like coming in and out of the closet, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Just Once, I had one like, in, one out, yeah, like, yeah. I had like my first like proper relationship when I was like fifty, and it used to be like really horrible to me about it. So yeah. I just used to say, "Oh, I'm not anymore. I'm straight now. It was a fate." You know, yeah. Just so it's even, sad that you had to be like that, though, isn't it? No, yeah, uh, yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, because he was just really horrible about it. But like then, obviously, I was like that ended and I was just like liberated so I was like I'm gonna tell everyone <laughs> and it was in a gay bar where I experienced quite really bad homophobia oh, really? biphobia yeah it was really disheartening actually I mean they were from like the older generation so I don't know if that's but still no excuse like really exactly. but they were just like oh it, it takes away from our struggle and I was like aren't we all in the same struggle yeah. isn't this I, our I community I hate that narrative like that's yeah. such a shitty narrative like we are but it's all yeah and because I've never had like a, a girlfriend and things like that and I'm like well you know there's plenty of men who have never had a girlfriend but they know the straight like it's the same yeah yeah and um, it was me and my friends who's also bisexual we were like we were in the smoking area and they were just like, oh no, he's a, he's a young, he's all grow out of it. I was like, I'm literally, I mean, I was I was young now, like to me, I was 19. Yeah. But it'd been like nearly like maybe about nine years of me knowing. And um, yeah, we just went inside and was like, oh, let's just try and forget about it. But it just played in my mind for ages. So I was like, I can't believe that these um, gay men would say that to yeah. someone, you know. You see it a lot with um, white gay men, I think, mm. with, with the with bisexuals, and a lot with transgender people as well. Mm. It's quite worrying. Yeah, I think there needs to be. I mean, it's good now because uh, on the likes of like Twitter and things, there's like a discussion about biphobia in the community and biphobia in general and transphobia in the community. So you know, there's discussions are being had. Which is good. That's so true, though. Like you know, like I, I feel like that topic never really gets talked about, does it? Like how much there's so much discrimination within our own community. Yeah, like, definitely. It's, it's mad. And I think you know, I've read a lot about bisexual women or bisexual men who are in hetero relationships, so to speak. Um, and you know, people are getting angry that like, oh well, you're privileged because you're hetero passing. 
which is strange. It's like, well, it doesn't take it. There's no percentage there. There's no preference of that. Like, oh, I prefer being with a boy or whatever. It's like I'm still very bisexual. You yeah. know what I mean? It's it's really strange. Sure. You see it a lot, like with with gay men who are being homophobic towards gay men. You know, they're putting their bios like no femmes and all oh those sorts of things. Oh my god, I hate that. Yeah. yeah, I just find it so strange. I'm just like. Obviously, something really sad has happened to these people. Like that's made them, <laughs> like that maybe they've had like a really horrible experience that's made them sort of, or they've grew up like, mm. you know, you find like men who are like, oh, I'm I'm not bothered if he's gay as long as he's not like acting yeah, stereotypically as as gay. Or... Yeah, as long as he's not camp. And I think a lot of men, gay men, will internalise that. I mean, I was like that myself, but I grew up... I didn't really grow up, but I, I used to hate women. I used to hate girly girls. I used to hate beautiful women. <laughs> like, I, like, not because of, like, uh, like I hate them because I fancy them. I just hated that I was not like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it was... All, all it came down to was, like, utter, utter jealousy. And, like, I grew... You know, I was trying to sort of be a bit more... I mean, I was a tomboy anyway, but I was trying to be a bit more... Like, girlish. Yeah, I think I, like, really was one of those pick-me girls that, like, for a, a period of my life, and it's horrible to admit, but, like, I think it, it's good to talk about because, obviously, I realised yeah. that that was my internalised misogyny that I've grew up with, that girls who act like they are girls are stupid or vain and all this, and that literally came from men telling me that about myself so yeah. I tried to not be that yeah. so obviously I woke myself up <laughs> as a weird of myself and was like no no I, no not today Satan not today <laughs> not today patriarchy yeah. <laughs> Here with Adam Whitaker, a recruitment consultant. You're all right, Adam. First of all, let me just tell you how proud I am of you. <laughs> uh, brilliant to just see you and what you're doing and just following your journey yeah. and everything that you do. You know, I always support you yeah. and everything. And um, I'm honoured that you've here asked me to come down. Yeah, no, I definitely, am. Yeah, definitely. Well, Adam, I, we've lived in the same area all of our life. So, like you, when I've seen you being so out and proud, you've always been like one of them. I think it's nice to know there's someone else who can just be that confident and not. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like you're, an, you're an inspiration, nearly, to the gays of Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that, me and you? Yeah. <laughs> Just the two of us. Yeah. No, do you know what? Like, um, I, I've always been a massive believer in, like, supporting each other and... and, and you know what you've just said there's a massive compliment to me because that's always what I aim to achieve no matter what I do whether it's yeah. a something big or something little is just to inspire people and, and just you know put a smile on people's faces and Definitely. if I'm doing that for people that I've grew up with and that I've lived around all my life then that means more to me than doing it for somebody that I necessarily don't know or, exactly. or whatever so it means what you've just said yeah. no honestly like as you just said we are the only two of them two gays in Scotty aren't we well, I, think a, yeah, I think there's a few more <laughs> but, but, no, I don't <laughs> think we can do that <laughs> half you'll get us shut down oh sorry can we swear yeah, we'll course, swear, yeah. just be ourselves yeah um, do you know what like when I think about it I think that there's a the, the, there's a massive gay community around where we live yeah. but I think that a lot of people don't speak about it which is mad in, in this day and age mm-hmm. isn't it like mm-hmm. uh, and this is what we've just been talking about so off off the air is how the fear of coming out and, yeah. and, and people being scared to potentially be themselves and be who they are so I think that you having this podcast 
um, out and proud is is a massive massive stepping stone uh, for for even just us two. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Just definitely. being being able to have this conversation. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I just hope I don't uh, blow anyone up on along the so way. Right, I'll bleep, bleep them out. <laughs> well, yeah. Do you want to name some now? All right then. So uh, yeah, <laughs> Lewis Jennings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, so ever since I've known you, as and you've always like been out. I think. Yeah, I think so. I was, I was. It was just, I, I was just on eighteen when I come out. Um, a mad, mad day. Uh, I always say today it feels like it was like it, um, like it was a setup day because mm. everything just seemed to click and, and and slide and click and slide and it just all fitted into shape that day and it was it was madness because. I never expected to do it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I never, I never once thought in my own head like this is the day that I'm gonna do it. This is the day that I want to do it, and this is how I want to do it. It just happened. It just, it yeah, just yeah. come about. Um, sometimes I regret it that it happened like that because I, I sometimes I would have liked to have been able to to do it a certain way. Or in my head, I thought that there was a certain way that you had to do it. Like there were certain people you had to tell in in like a chronological yeah, order, yeah. if you know what I mean. Like you'd always want to go to your mum or your dad or your nan or your granddad first and mm. tell them. Whereas I never, man, was a, a fucking city announcement <laughs> all over the place. You know what I mean? Um, so I remember it was. I don't know if you know Anne O'Neill and. Catherine Campbell, no. um, but they was running a, a, a youth play scheme at the time in the Rotunda College on Great Mersey Street, oh, yeah. um, and it was it had been like. I think it was like six weeks of it so we'd all been doing like different things every single day for six weeks and it was brilliant and I obviously like me and my mates were a bit older but we used to go along because we used to have a laugh with them all um, and after this six weeks the woman that owned the Rotunda or that managed the Rotunda Libby at the time she like fought for loads of funds so that there was loads for us to do during the summer so we smashed it we was out all the time and it was just it, I remember it just being a brilliant summer when I think back to it now it was kind of like my last summer on the streets with me mates mm. before I, I sort of grew up if you yeah, know what yeah. I mean before like the coming of age yeah right? the coming of age exactly yeah. and it was before like we all started going our different ways and identifying ourselves and like you know you, you just grow up don't you mm. so it was like it was like rounds about that era that time so um, yeah, it was it was the end of summer party, the end of the play scheme, and and it was um, I think I was going to uni that that September. Oh, yeah. So this was like the August before, um, and we that we had this big massive like it was like a ceremony, like a party outside the rotunda, and I remember Anne O'Neill, I bought loads of um, balloons, helium balloons, mm. and they all had strings on. And at the end, they all had like a white note, <laughs> and uh, we all got asked to write a note. It sounds too cheese, you know. You know when you think about it, but we all got asked to write a note, and and then we was all letting our balloons go at the same time. But there was like loads of people. Like I remember all the sinners were there, like me, Katie Reddy, all my mates, Bo Murphy. Jamie Lee, of there was hundreds of us, like everyone was just there that day. Like Keely was there, there was just hundreds of people. Everyone in the area was just there at the same time, and everyone went to this afternoon like extravaganza, mm. if you like. And we had a DJ, and this DJ was playing like Robbie Williams, Angels, as we're uh. all writing our notes <laughs> on and stuff like that. Dead, dead corny when I think yeah. about it, but it was bosh, you know what I mean? So I'm like looking at this piece of paper, and I'm like, what do I write? You know what I mean? And I was gonna write my nan and granddad a message to heaven and blah blah blah. And you know when you just like sitting and everyone's like writing notes away. And before I knew it, I looked at this piece of paper and I'd wrote on the piece of paper, I'm gay. 
and then Anne and Catherine and all that are shouting everyone over so we're all standing outside the rotunda and we're all in a big circle with our balloons holding them up in the air and Bobby Williams is playing <laughs> angels whatever in the background so we all let our balloons go and we all look up and everyone's balloons just floating in the sky this is no words of a lie right this is exactly how it happened and I'm just watching me balloon and I'm dead proud of myself and it's just got <laughs> I'm gay floating in the air and then bang right off. into the fucking tree that's standing in front of everyone who's one blue gets stuck oh. man so I was like started to get a sweat I'm like oh my god everyone's gonna know this is my balloon there's my balloon stuck in the tree everyone else has gone in the air but just man stuck there anyway got stuck we was all laughing whatever no one seen nothing and that was that so then um my mate Katie turned around and she was like we're all going to go back down to man we're all going to chill get some food and have a little drink and stuff like that just end the day outside mm. it was just a roast not day and everyone just like barbecues and no one of them days so we goes back and we're all just like chilling we've got music and having a little drink and we're just all having a little dance and I remember looking around the house and everyone of my mates were there everyone was around me like just everyone I love was around me and um I was like, I, I'm not asked no more. Mm. Like, this is it. Like, I am not asked no more. Like, I'm able to tell these people I'm gay. And I didn't even, like, I was sweating and all that. And I, I don't know what I was expecting. Do you know what I mean? You never do those. You always think, like, either the worst laughing or you're like, oh, could it go this way? That yeah, way? yeah, 100%. And I was like, I, I was literally about 10 times before I actually come out that day. I prepared myself to say it mm. and I couldn't and I couldn't bring myself to it and that's when the fear started coming in yeah big lump don't you yeah and I was shitting myself and automatically in my head I was just going round and round in circles of like he's gonna rape me I was scared of losing my best mate because obviously he was a straight lad I was scared of losing me fucking me mates the girls that I've grew up with because although I knew they loved me I didn't know whether they loved the fact that I was gonna be gay and then I had my brothers to think about because mm. not that necessarily you know what their their opinion wouldn't have changed anything but their opinion mattered to me more than it did about anybody else in the world and I don't know why that is but I think you know yourself as yeah, a gay exactly. lad having a straight brother it it's odd because yeah. you want to protect them in that situation for some weird strange reason you know how it is like yeah. how people can be like yeah. skitting and that and you That's don't want your brothers to have to like go through that to you yeah, yeah exactly defending you and stuff like that and I think for my older brother and my younger brother they was more I would think I was more scared that they didn't understand it but mm. one thing I did know and one thing I did understand is that I love them and they love me and they was always going to protect me no matter what whether they accepted it at first or did not luckily for me it was I was fine do you know what I mean Um they the, the accepted me but not that they had to accept me or that they accepted me and said it's fine they were just carried on as normal it was just as if it was not and it wasn't mm. a, in my head it was going to be this big massive thing and there was going to be murder over it in their head it was just be careful look after yourself but going back to it so I went in this party as I, well the party come afterwards but we're in this house and we're all having a chill and food and drinking on and whatever and uh Katie Reddy, she's obviously one of my best mates and she was there at the time and I remember shouting at her and I was like, Katie, come here, I need to tell you something. And she was like, oh, hang on a minute. I, th- I don't know whether he was doing like the stepping slides or something like that <laughs> in the kitchen. And I'm like, Kate, come here a minute. She's like, fuck off, I'm fucking doing so high. And they're all like doing this job in there and I'm sitting on the couch shaking to death. So then next minute she's come in and I've had to cop and being like, what? What's up? You know what I mean? And I was like, okay, can you just sit down? I need to talk to you. And she's like, what, lads? What's going on? But I think she's seen 
sort oh, on in yeah, me fear. just straight yeah. away yeah what we're probably fear whatever it was she's seen it and i've just watched like her face just changing she's been like adam you're all right and i was like yeah i'm gonna tell you something now i said and then once i've told you i feel like i'm ready to tell everyone i said eh, and you probably know but i just want to say it Mm. So don't say not and just let me say it to you. So she was like, "What?" But I knew, like, she just had this smile on her face, as if like it was almost like she'd been waiting for it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It was mad, yeah. yeah. So I was like, "I'm gay," and she went, "Oh yeah." I said, "Yeah." She went, "Are you made up?" <laughs> I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "You made up." <laughs> I said, "Well, no, I'm coming out here. I'm telling you, I'm gay." She's like, all right then. She went, I'm straight. Look on that crack hand, lad. You know what I mean? And I was like, no, you're out of order. That's not what the fucking response wanted. I wanted yeah. you to start crying. I wanted you to be on the floor and be like, oh, this is amazing. She yeah. went, look, I know you better than you know yourself. Do you know what I mean? She went, it's not me that you need to come out to. It's 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 you that you need to come out to. You need to come out to yourself, and it's it, you it's you that needs to tell yourself. And I was like, fucking hell, shit, the nail on the head there. Do you know what I mean? And then in that moment, I'm thinking something to myself, who am I coming out to here? Who am I fucking telling? Am I telling you or am I telling myself? So I think with her saying that, it clicked in me that I was gay. Even though I was telling people gay, I didn't realise I was until she bounced back with that, you know what I mean? Anyway, I thought, I'm going to have to ring my mum and tell my mum. So rings my mum. Phone you rings. Over the phone, yeah? So, uh, well, this is the thing. <laughs> the phone rings. And I thought, as soon as she answers, I'm just gonna come out with it, do you know what I mean? But by this time, I'd only told Katie. So the phone's ringing and it's ringing and it's ringing and it's ringing and no one's answering. But every time you look at me, Ma, she's got a phone in her hand. So I'm like, why isn't she answering the phone, yeah. do you know what I mean? So I'm ringing and ringing, I kept ringing back. And when I looked at my phone, I drank it about 10 times. In the end, my mum rings me back, she's like, you're all right. And then I'm all like emotional and I had like this lump in my voice and I was just, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. I don't know how to describe it, but I just didn't feel myself at this point because I built like my nerves up, do you know what I mean? So it rings and it goes, Mum, I need to talk to you and I feel like I need to tell you something. So obviously, as soon as you say that, you know, mother's instinct, she knew straight away. She was like, I'm in the house. I'm going to get your Uncle John. I want you there in five minutes. I said, all right then. So I'm fucking walking home shaking. <laughs> like, I've got something wrong with me. And I get to my mum's house, and my mum and our John's, my, John's my uncle, my mum's brother, and they're both sitting there with a cup of tea, and on one side of the table, and I'm sitting on the other side of the table with my cup of tea. Have you ever seen The Princess's Diaries? No, no. Oh, it's a film, like, about this girl who's a princess, and anyway, there's a, a teacher, and she's a nervous around the queen, and she's shaking with the cup of tea, and this cup of tea is going everywhere, and that's literally me, I'm sitting there, <laughs> shaking with this cup of tea. So my mum was like, just say it, it's fine. And once you've said it, you know, it's off your chest then. So I just burst out crying and I was just like, I I'm gay. And I, I'm gay. And she was like, I think I knew. I said, what made you think, you know? She went, well, I remember seeing you when you was three and you had a, a pair of kitten heels on, <laughs> walking around your Auntie Angela's house. And uh, I just burst out laughing and then I just burst out crying and I was just a mix of emotions all day, do you know what I mean? And I was just like, I was sobbing and I was sobbing and then I was laughing and then it was just hugs and kisses all around, obviously. Um, and then my mum was like doing the call, telling the family and stuff like that. And I was just sitting there and I was staring out into space, like sitting in the kitchen, just like, I can't believe this day I've had, like, I can't believe that I've done this. Like, Such a relief though, isn't it? I can, I can imagine that feeling. But do you know what though? But at the end of the day, Lou, I shit myself, because mm. I was like, have I made the right decision here? 
Like, and I was questioning myself, and I started questioning my sexuality the day I come out. Did you? And I was like, what have I done? What have I done? Like, am I gay? Do I know that I'm gay? I didn't fancy girls, I didn't fancy anyone else, I knew what I liked, but it was just that fear of, like, have I done the right thing here? Do you know what I mean? So all the anxiety that comes with it, yeah, isn't it? 100%, that's it. And then I got over that, do you know what I mean? I got over myself, and obviously I knew who I was, and I was really comfortable with that. And uh, my mum comes back in the room, and she was like, <coughs> Clear on the throat, so now and so fucking hell, what's going on here? She went, um, Look, lad, I know you're 18, and I know you've only just come out to me today, but you know, you've got to be safe and you've got to be careful because it's bad. And I went, Now, hey, love, I'm not listening to you giving me the bees and the birds. <laughs> I'm fucking 18 years of age, you're fucking five, six years too late. I'll see yeah. you later. And then we just laughed about it. Uh, and then after that, I went back out. Went back to the house where all my mates was, and we just had the biggest, like it was a massive party. Like mm. I just, you know, like by the time I got up there, they all had like cards saying congratulations on a bottles of wine, and oh, like the neighbours were all knocking, and I was like, oh, we've heard your news, and it was just like that day from start to finish was just like a massive celebration. I love that you've had the whole of Scotty celebration. Honest to God, I literally did. Like I remember walking along Scotty, and I just like just seeing all heads around Scotty, just yeah. people that we've grew up with all mm. our lives, just being like, oh lad. I've heard about your news I've heard about your news and like it's mad because you're like I've only told me mates and I've only told me mum but then obviously it's a domino effect everyone That's tells it. everyone and it everyone's it, a jangler it's everyone's a jangler and one of them I'm not going <laughs> to lie like so literally let's be honest we, we all have our moments So this week's Queero is Chris Porter. He's a support service team leader from Gyro, which is part of the Young Persons Advisory Service and is a youth group for young LGBTQ plus people. But before I talk any more about it, I'll let Chris introduce himself. My name is Chris Porter. I am a support service team lead at the Young Persons Advisory Service. Uh, more specifically, I focus on our LGBT plus youth provision. Um, I support staff and I work on groups and offer one-to-one support, which I'll hopefully talk a little bit more about um, in a little bit. And it's a pleasure to be this week's Queero. There's tons of work that we do um, at Jaro and Y-Pass. Um, one of our main focuses would be group work. And I suppose as things are right now, um, <clears throat> we're kind of... And I don't even know what phase we're in in terms of this whole COVID response. But a traditional group at Jaro would have been normally us meeting in our building, which is near the Adelphi Hotel. And just before lockdown, we were getting, you know, around 20 people attending a session, which was lovely. So like on our Thursday session for 16 to 25 year olds, it was quite well attended. It was an amazing energy and um, people would cook for each other, have a laugh. And every now and again, we'll do some issue based stuff or talk about rights, etc. But also every now and again, we'll just put on some music and have a laugh. And it's about being together. It's about about feeling part of a community, reducing isolation, loneliness, and um, I suppose like taking an affirmative approach and positive approach to being LGBT. Um, So that's kind of the general vibe of it. So that was kind of like our Thursday group and our Tuesday group was for more secondary school age and people, young people would come straight from school and would do a bit of cooking and again, support people 
um, sometimes issue based, but also just get to know people and make new friends. That would be the kind of general approach. Now we've had to move to Zoom and we had to move to Zoom quite quickly. Um, and probably like everyone else, nobody had heard of Zoom, you know, before March. <laughs> um, so we all had to adapt to that as staff. And then as young people as well, you know, we're very um, confident with our face-to-face delivery, but delivering remotely is more of a challenge. I'm sure everyone's got a bit of experience with all these things by this point um, and understands what we're talking about. So, yeah, at the minute, our current group delivery and drop-in groups are on Zoom. And that means that, you know, before people could just walk in the building, they just needed to know where and when, and now they need a link. And, you know, there's extra complexities around access and online um, that we have to navigate. So it is a bit more challenging now. But we are keeping it going. So that's what I would say about our our group work and our drop-ins, is that we've got one secondary school age on Tuesdays, one for 16 to 25 year olds on Thursdays. They're on Zoom, but as soon as we can get back to face-to-face, the the better for us. So we're hoping that will happen sooner rather than later. And if you found that like through doing Zoom sessions, is it more is it more harder to, for young people, do you think, to open up about like the issues that they might have going on then? Because it's not it's not like you've got that like when you're in a room with someone, you can be very personal, can't you? Yeah, I mean that is a good way of putting it. It is a bit less personal. I think um that's a big part of what we do. Um like professional relationships um do take a bit of work, you know, there is a bit of skill to it. Um uh-huh. I make ensure that a person feels comfortable because we're talking about sexuality and gender identity and those things are really personal to people and if they're really early on in their journey and they're children and young people they can be really sensitive matters to talk about as well so having those personal relationships is really vital for us to be able to get them to where they need to be in terms of being comfortable, for example, with who they are. But on Zoom, it is a challenge. Um, one of the bigger challenges for us is around confidentiality. So, for example, when they come to us in our building, we're in a room and it's confidential and it's private, um, and that's good. Um, but when you're Zooming in from home, you know, your little brother or sister or your mum or dad could kick down the door at any point and you're trying to talk about something really personal to yourself. And also maybe you're not out to anyone. You know, I'm in a very privileged position as are the staff I work with. If, um, sometimes we're the only people who know someone might be LGBT. We may be the first person I've spoken to about it. Um, and that's a real challenge from home as you can imagine. So that impacts kind of numbers in terms of our groups, people attending groups, but also our one-to-one delivery. Um, people are aware of what, um, I suppose, maybe um, checking what they say and maybe restricting what they say in case people are listening in the household. So, yeah, it's added complexities online. What are like, like common problems that are usually brought up in a group session and how do they differ through different age groups? So there are lots of things that are kind of age sensitive or age appropriate. Um, and then there's some things that are universal as well. Um, so a kind of more obvious one might be around um, school. So like younger ones or secondary school age, a lot of stuff comes through around school. And a lot of the work that we do now is more supporting trans young people, gender diverse, gender questioning, things around gender, basically. Um, And how they are, I suppose, 
supported and feel safe in school to express themselves and be who they are. So examples of that would be support around young people wanting to wear a certain school uniform. So, you know, they don't want to wear the girls' uniform, they might say, um, and we have to try and support them to be able to access other kind of uniforms. Um, There might be around name change in school on the register, letting people know. Obviously, schools are massive environments, aren't they? There's like hundreds or thousands of people around, potentially, depending on the school. So if you're coming out in school, you know, it's like trying to contain that can be a challenge. Um, a lot of us have been to school. We know what that's like. Um, and it is it is very challenging. So that would be something that we come across with younger ones. Um, family relationships, family dynamics, um, People, I suppose, not feeling that they can come out to their parents or family members or parents or family members not being super supportive of their identities and trying to help those relationships um, kind of bond a little bit. Um, Bullying, another classic one, unfortunately, for the younger ones. But again, it can be all ages. And then I suppose for the slightly older ones, it's sometimes it's more practical stuff around healthcare. So GPs can be um, a contentious issue, healthcare barriers. Um, you could go into detail about that. So um, accessing referrals to gender clinics, for example, um, can be a real challenge to people. Um, over 17 well of any age but especially people who self-present and ask for them at their GP um, things like hormones accessing hormones and things like that um, so we're not medical professionals but quite often we have to try and advocate for young people to access appropriate medical health care um, and that tends the the older they get let's say generally speaking the more that becomes prevalent in terms of yeah presentations for us yeah well given this week's news about like the government's effectively banning access to puberty blockers for anyone under the age of 16 what's jaro's like stance on that and how are they going to help young trans youth personally i'm still trying to digest it myself but i would say um so far, what I kind of have processed and through the support um, of peers, so other trans and LGBT providers around the country and locally, um, I would use the word, it's devastating. Um, I feel devastated. And I'm a cisgender guy who advocates and works on behalf of trans people, and I'm devastated. So I can only imagine what it must feel like for the trans community and trans young people and their families essentially what this means is um, from my understanding of it and how it stands now anyway you know things are always things can change but um, it's not going to be so easy for children and young people under 16 to access puberty blockers and these are essentially things that um, medication that pauses puberty in its tracks Um, and there's loads of kind of I suppose maybe obvious reasons why you would want that to happen if you're a trans young person um, who identifies with a different gender making it more difficult to get those things is potentially going to cause lots of issues down the line I suppose what I wanted to do though is offer out a kind of a beacon of hope in terms of what we 
are saying that we're going to do is we're going to double down on our advocacy and support for trans young people. It doesn't change anything in terms of our offer and support to LGBT and trans young people. They can still access all the support they need from us. There's no barriers, um, hopefully, that we know of to access and that support. Um, and we will advocate on their behalf um, everywhere we can. I think it's really important that we don't medicalize and focus as a priority medical interventions for trans people. And this is, I suppose, coming from me in my opinion, and everyone's got their own perspective on things. I think it comes from a bit of a cis-normative perspective that in order to be trans enough or to be the right kind of trans, you need to have medical interventions and that this barrier, these two access and puberty blockers means that you can't succeed or you can't be who you want to be. Um, And it's quite a complicated um, thing to discuss, you know, when we talk about gender identity um, and acceptance and things like that. That's not to take away from the importance that these this medication has for people. It's easy for me to say these things. Um, but I want to focus on social support. I want to make sure that people are aware that this is a barrier to trans people specifically, which personally feels very transphobic um, because it specifically names trans people and creates a barrier for them. Um, And I want people to increase their provision of support. And for example, those schools to be like, this is what we're going to do to support you. We have just recognised that there's extra barriers being put in place for you to access what you want. What can we do to remove barriers in schools, in GPs, in waiting areas, and all the things we can change, we need to focus on that first. So that's kind of my perspective on it. And that's what I intend to um, offer through Gyro is a safe space to listen, to do everything we can to support people and to change all the things that we can change or try to change in our power um, and advocate for the change of law so that healthcare should be more accessible for all trans people of all ages, not just trans children, but also including trans children. All I just want to say because of what's happened recently is like, you know, total love and solidarity to the trans community specifically out there and the LGBT community um, who do feel this as well for our uh, trans family. And these implications can have repercussions for us as well in terms of discrimination and potential barriers, for example, to um, sexual health care. Um, so things might come up and people might be like, oh, I can't talk to you about sexual health anymore because of what's just happened. We need to keep an eye on that kind of thing. That's all for episode three of Lads and Proud in Liverpool. Thanks for listening. You can also now check us out on Stitcher as well as Spotify and Apple and Google Podcasts. If you'd like to come on the show, send us an email to loudandproudin at gmail.com or send us a DM via Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at loudandproudin. See you next week.